we look to the word today, I want to remind you of a couple of things that I said a week ago. It was last Sunday that I, um, well, I tried to make the point that the decorative nativity scenes that, that we see around, you know, all over this time of year, they're all, every one of them, as, as best I can tell, are missing a character. Uh, someone is conspicuously absent. He's been overlooked by the nativity scene conglomerate. It's the Holy Spirit. And I say that because the Bible is clear that the Spirit was very, very active in the Christmas story, and he was certainly present on the night of Jesus' birth. And yet we tend, when we tell the story, too often, I think, to, to ignore or overlook the very important role that the Spirit played in the Advent. Last week, I told you that part of that role that the Spirit played was a role in promising. He was the Spirit who made promises and ensured and guaranteed the promises of God. Promises for God's people, the promise of a Spirit-filled Messiah, the role that the Holy Spirit still plays in your life and in mine in guaranteeing God's promises about our future. And as we talked about those promises I showed you how the clues that the ancient prophets had given hundreds of years before the birth of Christ all pointed to this outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the signifier that God's promises, his ancient promises, were finally being fulfilled. And then we looked at the the way the Christmas story is told in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells how in the days and the weeks and the months leading up to the birth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit began to fill his people in unique and powerful ways. People that we wouldn't necessarily expect to be part of a story like that based in particular on previous history. People like an an elderly priest and his aged wife, a a young teenage unwed girl, uh, and, and even a fetus, right? Uh, John, it says, while he was still in the womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit. These individuals that we wouldn't necessarily at first blush have picked to be to be the, the leading element in this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Luke says, God was doing something unique and powerful and different. And it's almost as if he's telling us the ancient promises of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit were being fulfilled. The Spirit is the guarantee behind the promises of God. But that's not where the work of the Holy Spirit ends. And so we need to keep on digging into these stories today. The Holy Spirit is not only the Spirit who promises. Today we're going to see that he is also the Spirit who prepares. I want to begin by zooming in on one of those stories that we referenced a week ago from the Gospel of Luke. This is in chapter 1. I'll be reading, and the words will be on the screen, beginning in verse 13. But let me set the scene for you. This is the exchange between this this elderly man who, who happened to be a priest and was on duty. And one day while he's on duty, he is visited by an angel. We later find out that it was actually Gabriel who visited him. Gabriel gets more, uh, I think, notoriety for his, his pre-Christmas visit to Mary. But apparently he was a very, very busy man just prior to the holidays. Perhaps he worked for UPS. He's making a lot of deliveries just prior to the holidays. And so here he is uh, speaking to Zechariah. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, we read that Gabriel says, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. How's that? He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And it's really that last phrase that I just want to sit in for a moment. What is John going to do in the power of the Holy Spirit? He's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Why does the Holy Spirit need to descend on, fill, baptize John? Because he has a very specific mission, and his mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We kind of have a double dip in that phrase, don't we? Make ready and prepared. Pretty much synonymous, aren't they? He's going to make ready a people who are ready. He's going to prepare a people who have been prepared. Now, in English, it's two different phrases. I can tell you that in the original biblical language, it's also two different words being used there, but they're somewhat synonymous, just as it reads in English, where he's going to make ready a people who have been prepared. That second word prepared has kind of an interesting little connotation with it. It has the idea of being custom built. The Holy Spirit, through John, is going to prepare a people to receive their Savior. And oh, by the way, that's the purpose for which they have been custom built. They are people who have been prepared. They have been custom made for that. And yet, the Holy Spirit, through John, is going to come and get them ready to fulfill the role for which they were created. In other words, John's mission was to go to a people who had been custom built by God to receive Jesus. And he had to get them ready to do that. And he would only be able to do that by way of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit who prepares. Now, you might ask, just as a, a matter of simple logic, if these people had truly been custom built to receive Jesus, why would they need somebody to prepare them to do that? If they had been custom built, if they had been prepared from the foundations, to receive their Savior, then why is John's role necessary? And even if John's role is uh, helpful, why is he going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish something which had already been ordained from the foundations? Are you following me with that question? Why would he need to do that? Many of you know that my hobby of choice my passion, my obsession is bass fishing in the local forest preserves. I make no claim to being good at it at all. I've missed many more fish than I've caught through the years, but boy, do I like wasting an afternoon at the lake. I really, really do. When I go, I bring my poles. I've gotten to the point where I usually bring two or three poles with me. And of course, there's the matter of my tackle box. 
I used to have my tackle box from when I was a little boy with a handle that I would carry around with me. That's not a really good way to walk around the forest preserve all afternoon though. So at some point, I started putting all of my fishing tackle into a backpack and I would carry my backpack with me. But one of the things I learned as I went along is I was putting far too much stuff in my backpack, a million different things that I really didn't need and it was just more cumbersome than anything else. So let me tell you what I actually got. I have a bunch of plastic tackle boxes that are flat and they've been custom made for the tackle I use. They have little dividers in them that I can put wherever I want so that each slot is the perfect size for the lure that goes in there or the tackle that goes, I have my hooks in one, I have my weights in another, these, these little custom built plastic boxes. I also have a shoulder bag that I wear that I keep all those boxes in. It's small enough that it's not cumbersome. I can even keep it on my shoulder while I'm fishing. And that bag isn't one that just happens to be kind of the right size. It was actually custom built to go with these narrow tackle boxes. And so when I unzip the top flap of it, I can pull it open and slide one of these tackle boxes in, slide another one out. And I have at my fingertips everything I need. They're designed exactly that way. But let me tell you what happens over the course of an afternoon fishing. Sometimes I'll take a lure out and I'll switch it on my line and then I'll take the one that I take off my line and rather than taking the time to put it back in exactly its spot, I just kind of drop it into the bag. Sometimes I switch hooks or I have to use a different kind of weight and I'll take them off and just drop them into the bag. I have some tools that don't fit in those tackle but I have special scissors that I use. I might pull those out and just drop it, just drop it in the bag. Sometimes I get a snarl in my line and I have to cut off a long bit of line. You know, you don't litter at the forest preserve, so I, I keep it and I'll just take that snarl in the line. Just drop it, just drop it in the bag. And once I've got all that clutter in the bag, you know what happens? My tackle box doesn't fit in that bag anymore. It just doesn't fit. And so soon the kids will tell you that as much time as I spend fishing, I spend almost as much time organizing my fishing gear. Now, I will acknowledge that part of that is because sometimes I can't go fishing. In the winter, in weather like this, I spend a lot of time organizing my fishing gear. <laughs> I can't go out and actually go fishing, so I pull it all into the family room and I, I rearrange it and I clean it up and I organize it. And Rosalie, you're laughing because your husband Rich did exactly the same thing, didn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what we do, we play. There's no fish to be caught, but we can still play with our toys. But the point is this, that stuff that has been custom built to fit my lures, the bag that has been custom built to fit my tackle box, it doesn't fit. It's not ready to receive what it's been custom built for. And why? Because it's filled with clutter. And over time, that clutter makes it impossible to work the way it was supposed to work. None of it fits if I don't clean it out first. The custom built case doesn't fit into the custom designed bag if the bag's just filled with clutter. That's exactly how God uses his Holy Spirit in our lives. He cleans out, the Spirit cleans out the clutter that has accumulated in our lives. If you're looking for a, a holier word than, than fishing gear, 
You could use the word sanctification there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He cleans out the clutter. He sanctifies us so that we are ready to receive our Savior just like we were custom designed to do. By his Spirit, God prepares us for Jesus. By his Spirit, he prepares us for Jesus. Have you ever tried to describe your relationship with Jesus to somebody else? But no matter how many times you tried to explain it, no matter what you words you you're like, man, I mean like I'm just in love with you. And, it, and they're looking at you, just blinking their eyes, they have no idea. Right? No, 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 you don't. And they're like, yeah, I know, I've been to church. You're like, no, 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 it's, no, no, no. I'm trying to tell you, like, I, I, there's this thing in my life, and it, it's so important to me, and I want to share it. And it's like talking to a brick wall. Have you ever had that experience? No matter what you say, it just doesn't make sense to them. Sometimes, sometimes that's an indication that the Holy Spirit just has not yet prepared them to receive the gospel. Conversely, let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were the one on the outside looking in? Perfectly reasonable people in every other way of life are suddenly head over heels nuts about Jesus and you, and, and you don't get it. And you look at all these weirdos at the altar singing and praying. You peek down at the end of the pew and you see the church lady with her hands lifted and you're like, looks nice but I don't get it. You'd like to have what they have, but you've tried everything you can think of and something just isn't connecting there. You don't feel what they feel. You don't see what they see. I've met so many people who have had that experience at one point or another. And in moments like that, they oftentimes end up praying this kind of Hail Mary of a prayer, not in the Catholic sense, not in the religious sense, but in the far more important football sense. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just going to kind of launch a pass and hope it connects. Right? They end up praying this prayer and it usually starts something like this. God, if you're real, if you're real, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you're real, if you're listening, then, and then they fill in the blanks with whatever that ends up looking like. Can I... If you've ever been in that position, can I offer you maybe a different way of praying? Maybe, maybe a different way of thinking about that in light of your understanding of the Holy Spirit who prepares. Instead, would you pray, Holy Spirit? You know, we can pray to the Holy Spirit, right? We're praying to God. He's the Trinity. Holy Spirit, would you come into my life and, and clear out the clutter and prepare me to receive Jesus? Because something's not connecting the lure doesn't fit into the box. The box doesn't fit into the bag. Something's not connecting. Holy Spirit, would you pray that right now? Holy Spirit, would you come into my life and just clear out the clutter? Because I believe I was custom built to receive my Savior. I believe I was custom built to receive my Savior. Did you know that's what the Holy Spirit does? Let me give you this word of encouragement. If you've ever felt that way ever at any point in your life, you are not the problem. You look around and you think, is something wrong with me? All these people are getting all kinds of blessed and I'm just sitting here like a bump on a log. Well, you are not the problem. You have been custom built to receive Jesus. It's just time, and we're going to talk about time today. It's just time 
for the Holy Spirit to come and do his work. Gabriel's description of John's mission, the verses we just read, the Gabriel's description, it was actually an echo of one of those ancient prophecies. I want to show you going back to the prophet Isaiah. We read from him a week ago. Chapter 40, verse 3. He prophesied a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Voice of one calling in the desert. Let me give you the historical kind of context of what he's talking about. We have, we have cities in the Middle East that are built up around places, you know, oases and, and places where we can live and sustain life. There's water, there's resource, right? But these cities are surrounded by desert. They're surrounded by wilderness. They're surrounded by difficult places, difficult trains, terrains. And the the announcement of the prophet here is reminding the people of what happens when the king comes to visit the city. When the king comes to visit the city, we need to go out from the city and we need to prepare the king's house, right? Because the king is coming. And so when we go out of the city and do our business, you know, there's clutter in the roadway. There's gravel, there's rocks. You have to step over things. You have to step around things. But the word has gone out. The king is coming. So go out into the roadway and prepare the way for the king. Clear the clutter. Move it aside. If there's a ditch in the road, fill it. If there's a a boulder in the road, remove it. Prepare the way for the arrival of the king. If we were writing this today, I think we would say this. We would say, roll out the red carpet. Because the dignitary is coming. Roll out the red carpet. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's the purpose of the Holy Spirit to ensure that we are prepared for Jesus' entry into our life. That we have rolled out the red carpet to prepare for his arrival in our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself would, would talk about this. And teach about it in his ministry. One of the stories he told, one of the parables that he used to make his point, is a parable about ten bridesmaids who are waiting for the wedding to come. These days, when it's time for a wedding, we send out to save the date, don't we? We have a very specific time, but in those days, they didn't do that. In those days, they just knew, we're going to get ready here, and when the bridegroom shows up, then we'll have a wedding. So in this particular story that Jesus tells, he says, I want you to understand this story like this. Imagine you have 10 bridesmaids who are getting ready for a wedding. They are trying to be prepared for their wedding and they've done everything they can to prepare. They're just waiting for the groom to show up because nobody knows exactly when he's going to get there. You may know the story in the story they each have a lamp with some oil in it. And some of them are foolish in the way they use their oil, but some of them conserve their oil so that, and here's the point, when the groom finally arrives, he happens to show up in the middle of the night and somebody says, the groom is here, everybody get your lamps. And five of the bridesmaids are ready and five of them are not. Five are ready and five are not. 
Let me tell you a little bit of a clue to unlocking the meaning behind this particular story. Very, very often when Jesus would tell these stories, he would use recurring characters. And very, very often the groom is a character that he would use to describe himself. And very, very often oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's happening in that story? Those who had the Holy Spirit in their lives were ready when the groom arrived. Those who had enough oil were prepared for the arrival of their Savior. That's the story Jesus is telling. It's the same theme happening again and again. It's the Holy Spirit preparing the people of God to receive the Son of God. Roll out the red carpet. In the days leading up to Jesus' birth, the Holy Spirit prepared the world to receive Jesus. But I believe that he's still doing exactly the same thing. He is still rolling out the red carpet. He is still preparing the hearts of God's people to see their Savior. One of the most important elements of being prepared for something is understanding the schedule. Now, we are getting ready, many of us, for family events over the course of the next couple of weeks, right? We're going to have family dinners together. We're going to have time with friends. We're going to have uh, appointed times. We're going to have parties. Uh, psychologists, modern psychologists tell us there's two kinds of people in this world. Uh, there's people who arrive early for events, and there's people who have arrived late for events, how many of you have people from both categories in your families and friends? Okay. I want to give you, you know, you can, I believe that there are clinical terms for this. Uh, those who arrive early uh, are referred to in the field as psychopaths. <laughs> and those who arrive late are referred to in the field as delinquents. Okay. Okay, uh, you'll, you'll have to Google that, look it up. I, I could be mistaken, but I seem to recall reading something about that somewhere. We have people from both categories in my family. My dad, oh my goodness. I can't call him a psychopath, but um, he, I'll just put it this way. On more than one occasion, we received calls from the police station where he worked. 15 or 20 minutes before his shift started because he had not yet shown up and they were worried about him <laughs> because he was habitually an hour early to work. And so if it got to be just 20 minutes before his shift would begin, uh, we would get a call at home. Hey, is Kenny all right? We haven't seen him yet. <laughs> That's how habitually early my dad was. And then he passed away and we discovered that mom has the same problem. <laughs> All those years, she was just hiding in his shadow. <laughs> but then when he was gone, oh, wow, <laughs> mom suffers from the same affliction. Um, but my family has its share of delinquents as well. And I think yours does too. I can, can we just, by, by way of confession, how many are, are part of or have ever been part of a family gathering where you've told different arrival times to different people in an effort to get them all there at kind of the same time. Like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There is confession too. There is a balm in Gilead for your souls today. There are, you know, there's bearing false witness. 
But then there's just planning a gathering so that people show up at the time. I think that's a whole different category and there's forgiveness for that, right? Sometimes we do that because some people come early, some people come late. The Bible says that God is the one who determines the schedule for everything. In Psalm chapter 75, verse 2, the Lord says, I choose the appointed time. That's God's job. I choose the appointed time. But just like a Christmas dinner for a big family, there are a million details that need to fall into place at just the right time in order for everything to come off the way we planned it, right? We can't be ready to eat and waiting for Aunt Ethel to show up with the sweet potatoes because she hasn't been here yet. And in the same way, you know, cousin Luke can't come with the turkey three hours early because it's going to be dry by the time we're ready to eat, right? The details have to come into place according to schedule at the right time. I want you to think about the Christmas story and think about how many details had to come into place at just the right time in order for that story to happen the way that God had planned it. Mary and Joseph, they had to be engaged, which presumably happened months earlier. The shepherds had to be out in the fields overnight, not at home or not in the, in the paddock with the sheep. They had to be out in the fields overnight. Historians tell us that typically only happened at one particular point in the year. Joseph had to be not in his home, but on a journey back to Bethlehem, which only happened because an emperor living about 1,400 miles away decided there should be a census and everybody would have to return to their ancestral homeland that particular year. And maybe the most interesting one, some sort of astronomical phenomenon would have had to take place in order to create the star of Bethlehem. Now, we don't know what it was, and, and scientists have speculated, was it some sort of planetary conjunction? Was it a supernova? What was it? Whatever it was, that's far beyond my pay grade. I have no idea, but I know this, the necessary circumstances would have had to have been initiated hundreds maybe even thousands of years earlier in order for that light to appear at just the right time. Now, how is God going to ensure that all of those details were in place together simultaneously at just the right time? Sounds like a job for the Holy Spirit, because by his spirit, God marks the proper time. By his spirit, God marks the proper time. In a matter of speaking, the Holy Spirit is like the event coordinator for the Holy Trinity. He, he's actively involved in marking the proper time for the things that God has planned. And he knows when God is on the move. His job is to get all the details into place, to make ready, to prepare, to make sure that everything is in place according to schedule. The book of Galatians tells us that this is specifically what happened at the advent. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, says, But when the set time had fully come, don't you like that phrase? When the set time had fully come, at just the right time, in other words, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And watch this now. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. So what happened? What happened? All the details came into place at just the right time. Why? Because God had appointed the right time. When the set time had fully come, 
the Spirit was poured out upon the people of God. The Spirit uh, is, is the one who marks the proper time. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto the people of God is like an alarm going off on eternity's iPhone. And it's saying the time has come. God's plan is finally in motion. That's the outpouring of the Spirit onto the people. And this pattern would continue. This pattern would continue. Just as with the beginning of his appointed time on earth, the end of Jesus' appointed time on earth would be marked by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself foretold of that. John chapter 7, he says to his followers, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow up from within them. Listen to this. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive. They didn't have it yet, but they were later to receive because up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. Why not? Because Jesus had not yet been glorified. In other words, it wasn't time yet. God, who sets the time for all things, says it's not time yet. But when it is time, you'll know because I'm going to outpour my spirit upon all people. So you will be prepared. God always has a schedule to keep. And the Holy Spirit is the keeper of that schedule. Church, I believe the Holy Spirit can play that role in your life. There are things that God is calling you to do. And maybe they aren't even all that hard to figure out. Maybe you know exactly what God has called you to do. Maybe you know, according to his word, that what he has called you to do, he will equip you to do. But there are still in your mind very valid questions as to the proper timing of the things that you have discerned. If that's the case, seek the wisdom and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16, that while Paul was on one of those missions trips, he thought it would be a good idea to go into the province of Asia and share the gospel with people living in Asia. But Acts chapter 16 tells us the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing that. The very next line says, Paul said, okay, well, let's go to Bithynia then. Let's go into the region of Bithynia and share the gospel there. But the Holy Spirit prevented him from going to Bithynia as well to preach the gospel. Why? Doesn't that offend your sensibilities? Why is it, God? Are the people in Asia and the people in Bithynia not worthy of hearing the gospel? Are they not going to be saved? Isn't that the problem here? Well, no, that's not the problem at all. The issue isn't that the people there weren't worthy or deserving of hearing the gospel. The issue is that it wasn't yet the proper time. The gospel would get to Asia. The gospel would get to Bithynia. But only according to God's time. And only after the Holy Spirit had gone ahead to prepare the people to receive their Savior. Now let's be careful. Let's be careful not to use this as an excuse to sit around and do nothing. Let's not blame the Holy Spirit for our own unwillingness to move. When, the, when he says it's time, it's time. Remember, he's the Spirit who prepares. So when he says you're ready, you're ready. You were custom made for this. But 
neither should we go through life assuming that the spiritual traffic light is always green. The God who orders our moments and days knows exactly when we should be stopping and when we should be going. And he has given us his spirit that we might know too, because he is the spirit who prepares. In the generations before the birth of Jesus, the world needed the Holy Spirit. The people of God were thirsty for a fresh outpouring of the spirit of God. They were, they were ill-equipped. Can I, can I use the word? They were unprepared to receive Jesus, to receive his words, his ministry, his message. And they would have remained that way if the Holy Spirit had not first prepared the way. And that's why he belongs in our nativity scenes. But it didn't end there. I believe the same is very much true today. The spirit who prepares is still preparing the people of God. What was true for Zechariah, for John, for Mary, and the others, it's equally true for us. By his spirit, God prepares us for what's yet to come. In the days following Jesus' resurrection, his followers were were gathered in Jerusalem, and it was there that the the resurrected Christ gave them a command. And the command comes across perhaps a bit unexpected. Rather than, as we might assume, he would tell them, okay, go, it's on, game on, let's go, go, go. That's actually not what the resurrected Christ says at all. Instead, he says, wait. Wait. Wait, stop and wait. Why? Because they weren't yet prepared for the mission that he was sending them on. Any guesses as to what they were waiting for? There it is. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is the words that Jesus gave them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, because in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have a mission for you, but you're not prepared yet. By his spirit, God prepares. And so wait for the spirit. I have a work for you to do, but you haven't yet been made ready. Oh, sure, from the foundations, this is in fact what you were custom built to do. But there's some clutter that I still need to clear out of your life so that you are ready like you've never been ready before. And fortunately, I've accounted for that. My spirit prepares you. That's what God says. The Bible says that God still has great plans in store for his people today. Probably many of us who follow Jesus are standing on issues of personal conviction personal faith saying, God, you woke me up this morning, you put breath in my lungs. There must be a reason. There must be a reason. How many of us could say, and I would just ask every hand be raised, God has a purpose for my life today. God has a purpose for my life today. It's his Holy Spirit that is preparing you to live out those purposes. And we believe that as individuals. It might look a little bit different in Brenda's life 
than it does in Mary's life. It might look a little different in Fernando's life than it does in Dane's life. But we are standing on this conviction of faith that says God has a plan for my life and his spirit will prepare me to live that plan out. All of that is true. But let me tell you what else I know is true. I know because I've read the word of God that God has some capital P plans for his people. The story of salvation is not yet over. There's still work to be done. We turn to the concluding pages of our Bibles. We read in the book of Revelations some of the specifics of those plans yet to be completed in the mission of God. If you've read the book of Revelation, we've studied it together as a church in the past. Perhaps you'll recall that early in that book, messages are sent to seven different churches about the events that await them. And each one of those messages, each one of those letters ends with this line, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to God's church. The Holy Spirit is still preparing God's church. The Spirit is still at work making ready for God. A people who were designed for this. Do you ever wonder why you were alive in 2022? (laughs) I've asked that question a handful of times this year. Did you ever wonder through some of the trials that we've gone through in recent years, why, why, why? Maybe late at night when your mind starts to wander and you you think about some of those bigger questions in life, why is this the time? Why is this the place that God in his wisdom has, has chosen to make me alive? Maybe you've reached a point in your life where sometimes And I pray it's not from a spirit of depression, but just from a spirit of wondering, why, Lord, have you continued to give me breath? Why am I still here? Whatever your questions about your existence might be, would you rest in the promises of God, insured and guaranteed by the Spirit of God, that he has prepared you for the days you live now? That he has called you, that he has custom built you for such a time as this? I look at the world around me. I've been studying from the book of Daniel a lot recently. I'm gonna preach from the book of Daniel in January. And the more I think about Daniel, the more I think, man, we could use him. (laughs) We could use him today. But you know what I think the Holy Spirit would say to us? No, you couldn't. You got all you need. Daniel was designed for that day. He was designed for that appointed time. You were designed for this one. You were designed for this appointed time. That, That struggle you're facing at home, you were built for this. That challenge that you're facing with your family, You were designed for this. That situation you're in at work or at school or in your neighborhood, God has prepared you for this. Would you just bow your heads with me and and let's pray to that end. Lord, would you stir up our faith today? 
Would you stir up our faith even as I say the words? They're in my notes. I'm the pastor. And yet, I'm overwhelmed with how difficult it is to live in that conviction every moment of every day. But God, I believe, I believe, I believe that I was made for this. As I look out through this room into the faces of my brothers and my sisters, I believe that you designed them for this moment. That by your spirit, you prepared them for these days. As I think about those who are are watching on on the internet right now and, and just living into these scriptures with us, I think about people who I know that that I call by name, but Lord, you first call them by name because you designed them for such a time as this. You designed them for this moment. They are custom made to be bearers of the gospel of Jesus in this day. Stir up our faith to be ever convicted about that. Lord, we submit ourselves to your spirit. Have your way. Prepare us. Prepare us for that which you have called us to do. Thank you. When I was a little boy, maybe a teenager, we used to sing a song in church. We're not going to sing it together, but I just want to bring the lyrics to mind. Maybe you remember the song. Sometimes we'd sing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare us today to be a sanctuary, to be a place for your presence. Clear out the clutter in our lives so that all that exists within this temple is the presence of God by his spirit. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.